Great. Well, it's nice to see you all here. Nice to see you in masks. It's always a bit quieter here on Mother's Day. I think a lot of our people travel back to uh, family homes. So if you're wondering where people are. But uh, it is still good to be gathered and gathered on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mums. To, to my wife, who's an amazing mum. To my two kids. There you go. Um, and here we are. We're in masks. Well, I'm not in the mask. That's the nice thing about being the preacher is I get to take mine off. But uh, I feel like COVID in Australia, it's a bit like the mafia in the Godfather films, isn't it? You know, you think you're out and they drag you back on in. Um, but really, this is a, it's a pretty minor inconvenience uh, in light of what many are facing, obviously, around the world. Um, so w- what a shame. The clothes swap was postponed. But um, as, just to echo those words, if you want to make a gift towards Homes of Hope, they're one of the few charities that are still allowed to operate in India. Um, I don't know if you know, but um, what was the big children's sponsor? Compassion. Compassion were kicked out of India a couple of years ago um, and a bunch of others as well. So to have access to India to do mission work and to do um, charity aid and development um, is, is, is a real blessing. So get behind that. All right. Well, isn't Ephesians just a cracker of a book? Um, I've been loving this series, and I know many of you have commented on how much you're getting from it. Um, We're moving our way through the series. Last week, we talked about the big pivot in the book. Chapters 1 to 3, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus of the gospel story. You know, that you've been adopted and forgiven and redeemed, that you've been strengthened with power, uh, that you are loved by God. And then he says, therefore... Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've received. So live a life in light of the incredible riches of Jesus Christ. Begin to bring your life into balance with the gospel. And Paul started kind of what would that even look like with kind of these virtues that really belong to Jesus. You know, he talks about as a community, you know, be, be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love. Um, and that, that to me is pretty cool. That's how God wants us to bring our lives into balance with the good news. Uh, that's gonna be, there's going to be lots of ways, but that's the first way, says Paul, that the gospel story begins to reshape our story as it changes these virtues within us. So Paul continues chapter 4, uh, but today we kind of do this detour before getting back into how we should live in light of the gospel story because he wants to remind us as the people of God that the way that we grow, the way that this whole church thing matures and is spread and is built up, uh, it happens through the church and through leadership. And so he goes into this section we're looking at today about how Jesus gives gifts to people in the church so that... I think it's verse 12, so that all of the saints, that's not special Christians, that's just how we're all collectively referred to in the New Testament, so that we might be equipped for acts of service and ministry, right? And the key to becoming who God wants us to be, the key to getting reshaped by the gospel is being part of a community that helps us to do that. So you can't can't do it on your own. You know, we read so much of the scriptures individualistically in the West. And yet they were written to a people, to a community that had formed around the gospel. 
You know, we sometimes say we can do this on our own. You know, I don't, I don't need collective wisdom. I don't need to be part of a church. Or, or maybe we get cynical towards the church. But Jesus' goal in salvation was always to form a people who would work this out together. So we need each other. And, and in the context of needing each other, what Paul is going to say today is we need leadership. Godly leadership. So let's have a look at this next passage on how the body of Christ, that is the church, may be built up. So if you've got your Bibles on your phones or you carry one of those old school paper ones, which my wife does, very cool. I see when it's highlighted, very cool. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So, verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, but instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. How good is that? We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. What another great passage. So many greatest hits in Ephesians, aren't there? As you go through this series, I know that passage. That's a famous verse. And so it's kind of great to be working our way through the letter. So Paul says that there is a risk and a goal in this passage. The risk, according to verse 14, is that we, the people of God, are not going to get built up. We're not going to grow up. We're not going to become mature or unified. But instead, the people of God end up being like infants, tossed around by people who would infiltrate the church and who would lead us astray. And it says we, kind of, we become captive to their deceptive scheming. So the risk is that if we don't have faithful fivefold ministry, which I'll talk about in a moment, we're in danger of being led astray. But the goal, says Paul, is something remarkable. That the body of Christ does get built up. That the people of God grow. That this church thing spreads throughout the world. And that we become mature. You know, we actually, we, we develop those virtues. We, we take on new character. We learn to treat one another in new kinds of ways. We get new kinds of purposes. And it says we'll attain fullness and unity. And the reality is that history is full of stories of the people of God getting blown off track. I think I've got a, a picture here, Gus, of um, a friend of mine works in the north of the UK and he put this picture up on Facebook. It's a beautiful picture of a church ruins. Um, but the church is having a couple of troubles here. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but this is kind of what happens to the church. Like I'm sure at some stage, this church had amazing leadership. This church would have been built in response to the fact that evangelists preached the gospel, that pastors were caring for the flock, uh, that, that all kinds of... You know, sermons and teachings from the word of God were occurring. But then at some stage, 
They got blown off track. You know, and this is what can happen to churches. I'm not saying we're going to come to manly life in a few weeks and it's going to look like this. But I mean, this church has got a serious roof issue uh, that they're going to have to take care of there. But it seems to me that every move of God kind of eventually splutters out. Now, the good news is that when moves of God splutter out, normally there are new moves of God that take its place. Right? You know, I think of kind of the revival of the Methodists. 200 years ago, the Great Awakening. And yet, you know, you wouldn't exactly say the Methodist church is on fire today. And and then in its place, Pentecostals kind of rise up. You know, there was no Pentecostals 120 years ago. Then the Azusa Street Revival occurs. And now there's 600 million Pentecostals in the world. But the risk is that great moves of God and movements of church growth can become museums and monuments. People get deceived, they land in heresies, or even worse, false teachings, that the church ends up being run by committees, and (laughs) committees to run committees, and committees to run those committees. But you know, it's true, is it not, that without Jesus-gifted ministry leaders, false teaching can come into the church. Name me a church movement that has embraced progressive liberal theology, that hasn't got into terminal decline or ceased to exist. It's just a reality. Unless we stay on the word of God, things go pear-shaped very quick. And also this momentum in the kingdom, that as I said, can be stopped by committees and inward thinking. And right, Jesus didn't die on the cross to start a bureaucracy. He came to start a move of the kingdom of God. But there is a way that God has ordained for us to get to the goal of the body of Christ being built up. And verse 11 tells us that God has given to the church certain people with gifts to equip the saints. Indeed, it says Jesus has given these gifts. And they're often referred to as the five-fold ministries. And the idea is that in this way, God has ordained for leadership in the church to become unified and to become loving and for the church to grow and get built up. So, what do we have? Next slide, there it is. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Just out of interest, who here has heard of the fivefold ministry giftings? Is that something that we're kind of familiar with? A couple of us. Okay, great. And the point isn't that these people do all of the ministry and all of the saints, that is you, like that, the saints are just... The, the believers in the early church, or in the church, I should say, sit back and just watch these super gifted people do all the ministry, right? That's not the goal. No, instead, it says, verse 12, that these gifted leaders equip the saints for service. Um, I think I've said this before, Mike Pilavachi from Soul Survivor used to love talking about the church. He'd say, the church is like a football match, 22,000 fans desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 players desperately in need of a rest. Right? I like that. And what he would always say about the church is that needs to get flipped. We need to have 22 people on the field cheering on the 22,000, going out, equipping them to go and do the ministry and to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. So that's what we need. So who are these people? And how do you know if you are cut out for one of these roles? Uh, Just as an aside, 
We can all obviously, as the children of God, play our part and reflect attributes of these roles. So you can be a teacher of the Word of God without having the title teacher on your business card, right? You can pastor people without being a paid, set-apart pastor. You know, you can have the gift of prophecy without the title of prophet in the church. But that said, Paul's idea here is clearly that within church movements, within the local church, within denominations, whatever it is, there will be leaders in the church who equip the saints for ministry. So let's work backwards through these roles. Remember, these people aren't perfect. Paul was an apostle and he described himself as the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy. Okay, Um, He had the highest office in the church and yet he still described himself in very humble terms. So in this passage, remember, it's the church who are called the saints. But anyhow, here we go. These are the supernatural gifts Jesus has given to people to grow his church. All right, first one, teachers. Teachers are those who make the truth and knowledge of the word of God accessible to all. Uh, They've got this ability to break through confusion, to break through misinformation. Uh, Often trained, it's good for teachers to, to study, to be equipped, and then they can bring clarity and revelation from the scriptures. Uh, They are gifted in helping people know the truth of God and how it applies to their lives. And, you know, if I had a favorite verse, it would probably be something like 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. They love that verse. That's their favorite verse. They've got the tea towel with that verse on it, right? They just think that's that's the pinnacle of what we're meant to be doing. They just love the word of God. Uh, You know you're around a teacher because they're always sending you a meme with a verse on it. I don't think like, someone's like, they're a bit, you know, what are they trying to say to me here? But uh, they're always saying, how's your quiet times going? You know, they just love the word of God. And there are great teachers broadly in the church. Um, You know, we, we drove out to Dubbo, or I went on my own, then we came back together, but you know, Dubbo's a long way away. And um, there's a New Testament scholar called N.T. Wright, who I just think is the bee's knees. How good is that, that his name is N.T. Wright? Yeah, it'd be terrible if it was like N.T. Wrong or something, but <laughs> N.T. New Testament, you with me? All right, we're moving on. All right, so anyway, I, I sat in the car and I listened to N.T. Wright for two hours speak on Pauline Trinitarian theology. And it was just like absolutely invigorating and refreshing. It was correcting. It was revelatory, right? It was just amazing as he opened up the word of God. But then also within the local church, we find great teachers of the word. You know, I know many of you have been blessed by Jarrah uh, with the young adults or, or someone like Cass in the mums group. So Jesus gifts leaders in the church to keep us on track with what his word says. And we get built up. All right, second one is pastors. And the Greek word is poimeneus, which literally is the noun for shepherd, right? It's not a fancy use of the word shepherd. It's just the word shepherd. So Jesus gifts people in the church to be like a shepherd, to look after and to care for the flock. So pastors are instrumental in guiding people through their brokenness back towards wholeness 
and healing people's souls from wounds that keep them stuck where they are. Um, I love pastors. They, they create an environment within the church that makes it a safe and a healing place. Uh, they bring life. They bring healing to God's ministry. And they allow people to feel like they are a part of a greater family. So a pastor's favorite verse is usually something like Matthew 9.36, which says, When he saw them, Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So pastors, they, they read that and their heart just beats. And they go, I want to be a shepherd. You know, I just love people. I see that people are harassed and helpless and having a hard time. I've got compassion on them and I just want to get in there and make a difference in people's lives. So these people say amen to that. Pastors just love the sheep. They love you. Uh, you know, pastors, they're, they're, they're just so happy that you're at church tonight. And they're so hoping you'll come back next week. And they're going to call you during the week just to check on you and to make sure you're doing okay since they last saw you. And they'll ask, how are you doing? No, how are you, how are you really doing? You know, pastors just love people. They've just got a natural heart for caring for the people of God. And they're awesome to have in the church. We need them in the body of Christ, right? In our brokenness, we need shepherds to care for us and to love us and to nurse us back to wholeness. So the church desperately needs pastors. But I would also say they're probably not necessarily cut out for leading churches. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But Jesus gifts leaders in the church to care for the children of God and we get built up. Okay, thirdly, we have evangelists, which literally means messengers of good news. Uh, These are those who Jesus has gifted to make the good news of salvation and stories of Jesus' remarkable goodness and love famous. They are carriers, they are proclaimers of the good news. Right? And they're always partnering with Jesus to celebrate people's decisions and transformations. And evangelists just have this gifting to stir curiosity and a, and, and a desire to know Jesus. They've got this remarkable gift to extend the invitation. Uh, come, join the people of God. Make a decision. And, and come, trust your life into Christ. So maybe their favourite verse would be something like Romans 1.16. Not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Or maybe it's Romans 10.15. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Evangelists just think they've got amazing feet. They love their feet. Because they know it is their feet that are bringing the good news to the world. And the thing is, you know an evangelist because they just want to go, right? They just want to go and preach the good news. You know, to be honest, some, some evangelists, church bores them a bit. If evangelists had their way, there'd be no chairs in the church, right? Because chairs make us comfortable. And we've got to be going. We've got to get outside of the church. We've got to get onto the corso. We've got to preach the good news. But here's my guess, is we are all here because someone preached to you the good news about Jesus. Right? How amazing are evangelists? They, they bring clarity to the message. And the people of God without evangelists are prone to tread water or to decline. So 
Jesus gifts leaders in the church to proclaim the good news and we get built up. Fourthly, we find the prophets. Now, prophets are effective in revealing God's heart for his people wherever they go. Prophets just have this supernatural gift of being accurately able to discern God's heart for a situation. Uh, They help people experience God's voice, right? Maybe for the very first time. Or they help people develop hearing the voice of God in their own life. And time and time again, what I have seen is how they are used by God to get people's attention. Right? Prophets just have a way of just cutting through the noise. And just delivering a word from God that just speaks into a person's situation with incredible clarity. Maybe prophet's favourite verse is 1 Corinthians 14.1, which says, Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. They love that one. <laughs> they, they point to that one. They go, see, especially prophecy. This is, this is why it's the most important thing. But I love prophets. You know, my wife has a prophetic calling on her life. And this is a gift or an office in the church that, to be honest, is coming under a fair bit of scrutiny at the moment. You know, there was a bunch of stuff that happened in America around the last election with so-called prophets who got things terribly wrong. And as a result, rightfully so, there's a lot of critique going on around the role of prophet in the church. But here is the thing. I am a preacher. And sometimes people ask me what the sermon was on three days later. And even I struggle to remember. But, but, but here's the thing, right? Every prophetic word that ever has been given to me in my life, I basically remember. And, and that's the gift of prophecy. That's why we need prophets in the church. They've just got a way of speaking into your situation in a way that can change your destiny and the whole direction of your life. Right? So Jesus gifts leaders in the church for prophecy to reveal the heart of God and we get built up. All right, final one is the role of apostles. Now, you get those in the church who say, we had the apostles in the New Testament. Uh, They are those who were with Jesus, who wrote scripture. And now that we have the Bible, we don't need apostles anymore. And and I don't know of anyone who's an apostle saying they're writing scripture today. Um, If they are saying that, I agree that is a problem. And we probably need to address that, okay? The canon is closed. But... I think those who say we no longer have apostles are using too narrower definition of the word apostle. Because in the Greek, apostle simply means sent one. Or one commissioned with a message. With a message. So I believe apostles are simply those who who just forge new paths for the kingdom of God to go forth. They're a catalyst for bringing the kingdom and establishing the church wherever they go. So, you know, these are your church planners and your missionaries and those whose heart just beats for Jesus' prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? Their entire life is about seeing the kingdom of God get established here on earth. And I think someone in our own church, like Greg, has an apostolic calling. Right? Greg led um, what back in the day was Ramwick Baptist Church that people used to flock to from all over Sydney for their like teaching nights through the week. Like revival was kicking off and 
Church leaders and people would just flood to Randwick Baptist back in the day. Uh, He has led churches that have influenced and planted churches. He has started Homes of Hope International. It's in a number of countries. He, He leads leaders and his heart is for the widow and the orphan in the local church. And like Paul, apostles never settle. They're never satisfied to sit on their hands, right? And go, we've got a good church. Let's just take it a bit easy now. They're always on the move. They're always dreaming. They're always initiating the next move of God. So there we go. Teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. And you can see, right, how if those leadership roles are in place, the church is going to grow and get built up. Right? It's inevitable. It's inevitable. You're not going to end up with a church without a roof and no windows and clearly no people that have been there in a long, long time. Because if we have these supernaturally given gifts at work in the church, it means we, the church, are going to be taught the word. We're going to be cared for. We're going to proclaim the good news. We're going to be supernaturally tuned into God. And we're going to see pioneering new ground for the work of the kingdom. Amen. And I feel what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 is, here are the leadership gifts. Here's what you, here's what you need. Right? I'm going to give, Jesus is going to give this to his church and then let these things hopefully be exercised by humble servants. It's going to stop us from just turning into an organization. Right? It's going to stop us from falling into weird heresies and weird strange teachings. This is how moves of God are initiated and nurtured and grow. Now, just to close, a couple of notes on this whole fivefold gifting thing. Time to get a bit controversial. I love that. Let's stir it up a bit. <laughs> All right. Firstly, to say, we've done this weird thing in the Western church where anyone who is in a paid church leadership role is called what? A pastor. And I think we've got to stop that. We've got to stop doing that. You know, the average church size in Australia is 50 people. And most churches never grow. They never seem to go anywhere. They never seem to start new services or ministries. or They just kind of get stuck. And the reason is because while pastors are amazing, they are primarily good at doing what? Caring for the existing flock. And I see so many churches, even here on the Northern Beaches, you know, a pastor will leave. And they've got a new opportunity to maybe start a team-based ministry or do something fresh or exciting. And what do they do? They go and employ another sole pastor. And then they kind of expect that dude to also be an evangelist and a teacher and a prophet and to start new ministries. Uh, And here's the thing. It's very flattering, guys, when you call me pastor. (laughs) But I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love you guys and I'm here for you guys, you know, and and particularly in emergency situations or really difficult stuff. I I am here and I will dive in and I can do the role of a pastor, but I'm not a pastor Um, because clearly what God's plan for the body of Christ being built up includes pastors. They are not the ones who are meant to be leading churches, right? But they are so instrumental in caring for the flock. Which leads me to the next thing. We need all five of these officers in the church in operation if we are to fulfill its calling. 
You see, what we often do in the West is we say, thanks God, but we'll just use three of the gifts. You know, we'll just maybe have evangelists, teachers and pastors. Or, or we just employ a pastor and then expect them to do all the roles of ministry. But it just doesn't work that way. Right? So what we need are teams and we need to be releasing all of the giftings. You know, particularly we've been very good at the West at cutting the apostolic and prophetic from the church. So we need a rediscovery of all the roles that Jesus has gifted people in the church to exercise. You know, and I would say this, as long as the church is not unified and it ain't, if it's not mature and it's really not that mature, if it's not growing, if it's not demonstrating fullness, my guess is more than ever we need these spirit-given gifts alive and active and equipping the saints for ministry. Now, final thing I'd say is we need both men and women to fulfill every one of these roles. Not just men. Not just white men. Not just balding, slightly out of shape white men. I mean, honestly, you've, you've got to come with me at some time to a Baptist pastor's get-together. It's like I walk in the room and there's like 150 me's. <laughs> it's like... It's the most disturbing thing you'll ever see. But part of the reason I believe that is because in the New Testament, I can point to men and women who fulfill every single one of these roles, right? Uh, Romans 16, Paul greets the female apostle Junia. It's definitely a female name. He greets the female apostle Junia and he calls her outstanding amongst the apostles. How cool was she? How cool was she? Right? In Luke 2, we meet Anna, the prophetess. Anna's the one who prophesies that this Jesus is the one that Israel's been waiting for. In Acts 21, we meet Philip's four daughters. And we are told that they are prophets in the church. In Acts 18, we read about Priscilla. And she explains the way of God more clearly to Apollos. So she was an amazing teacher. How good was a Priscilla? And her and others are clearly described as leading church households. So pastoring families of churches. And who was the very first evangelist to take the message that Jesus was risen from the dead back to the disciples? It was Mary. Mary was the very first evangelist. So let's land this. Has this been interesting? <laughs> I kind of feel like this was a bit of an in-house talk tonight. This wasn't the one you bring your cousin to, but <laughs> it's so important, right? It's so important. Well, just to finish. So what happens when the fivefold ministry is in operation? What will it produce? Well, it says that we, the saints, will be equipped for works of service, that the body of Christ will be built up, that we will reach unity in the faith and we will become mature. And I love this one. We will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's got to be another sermon. What does that mean? I want to know what that means, right? If you're a teacher, come and explain that one to me. That's got to be huge. And we are told the church will grow and build itself up in love. Right? And this beautiful body of believers, we won't get off track. We won't get blown away but we will fulfill the mighty calling God gives the church. 
You see, Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. He won't abandon it. He will equip it. And he dwells in his church. And he will use his church. And his desire is that if we were to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received, the whole world is going to be changed. So let me just finish today with an invitation. I wonder if there are some people here today who feel called to these roles within the church. You know, you don't, it doesn't mean you've got to have it as a full-time job. It may mean you need to have it as a full-time job. It may mean you need to go to Bible college. It may mean you need to go get equipped. But sometimes when you hear this kind of teaching, your heart begins to beat because you realise that I am cut out for one of these roles. So that's you. Come speak to me. We'll go have a coffee. I'll tell you all about life and ministry. <laughs> but if they are there to equip us all for ministry and service, we are all going to participate as well in these kind of gifts. So God is always calling people to step out in faith, put your hand up for ministry, and play your role. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last song. We're not going to sing. We're going to listen to people sing, who are very good singers.